Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am Melissa Treebosser, joined as always by my co-host, Jamie Plunkett, who if you hear some, you know, metal on ceramic sounds, it's because we're not recording at our normal time. Um, and he has just made dinner and we're going to let the man eat, which is why I'm doing the intro um, this week, because our guy has got to nourish himself. Um We've got one week of fall camp remaining before Sunny Dykes TCU football turn their attention to game prep for Colorado. The depth chart appears to be taking shape. Plus, Dalen Wright has finally arrived in Fort Worth and is on the practice field for the Horned Frogs. Jeremiah Donati said no to USC, and TCU basketball has closed out a 4-0 week across the pond. That and more on this week's episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. We are, as always, happy to be a part of the Dave Campbell Texas Football Network on the Republic of Football channel, the one-stop shop for every college football podcast in the state of Texas. If you follow an FBS or FCS team that makes its home in the Lone Star State, then there is a podcast for you. They just added SMU, so even the JV programs have a podcast now. So I have to say, like, JV, this is hilarious because, like, I keep seeing your head, like, ducking in and out of frame here. (laughs) What what are you eating, Jamie? What it's going to be a really tonight? good YouTube episode. Uh, so I made a little ca- a little cast iron meal. Um, I took some russet potatoes and diced them up. Put olive oil, paprika, garlic powder, uh, salt and pepper on those bad boys. Air fried them for about twenty five minutes. Oof. Threw some cubed chicken in a skillet. Did a little ranch packet action. A little minced okay. garlic on that. Some more paprika and salt and pepper. Cooked all that stuff up. Threw some barbecue sauce in that chicken, put the potatoes in there, mozzarella cheese and barbecue sauce on top, broiled it for a Oof. couple of minutes. Oof. Solid. You know, Solid little 30-minute meal. The people tune in for TCU talk, but they get recipes. Look, they get concert reviews. I mean, we are a one, we are truly it is so renaissance good. men and women of TCU athletics. I'm trying not to make this an ASMR episode by just shooting directly into my microphone. Yeah, yeah please do not. Please do not. Um, <laughs> that's a different kind that, of audience. That, yeah, that's a different kind of audience. Um, and, you know, a, a different kind of uh, uniqueness. But that's not the only unique thing that we can bring to the Frogs Insider podcast, Jamie Plunkett. Um, if you didn't, if you missed it last week, if you were not uh, tuned in, then you missed a really incredible announcement for Jamie and I and the Frog Insider podcast. And that is that we have partnered with Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods, yes. a brand that was created with Horned Frog fans in mind. What I love, there's a lot of things I love about Hell's Half Acre, but the best part about it is that every single thing that they sell is directly impacting TCU student athletes through their NIL efforts and, and other um, opportunities that they're giving back to TCU. They've got amazing TCU gear, polo shirts, headwear, home goods, everything that you need to get you ready for game day. And they're throwing a party this week, Jamie Plunkett. Yes, they certainly are. Uh, I'm going to be there Thursday at, uh, what is it, August 17th? August 17th. 30 in the evening over at Fort Brewery. They're partnering up with Fort Brewery and the TCU Alumni Association to host a kickoff party. It is completely free. Uh, I know these details have changed a little bit since last week. So if you're hearing different things than you heard on the last episode, that's why, uh, but it's August 17th at 6.30 at Fort Brewery, completely free, hosted by the TCU Alumni Association, Hell's Half Acre, and Fort Brewery. Uh, they will have on hand, by the way, the new beverage, Hell's Half Lager, 
available for purchase, which goes to support TCU student athletes and the Flying T Club NIL Collective. So that'll be something that you'll be able to to do as well if you come to the event on Thursday is buy a little bit of Hell's Half Acre. I mentioned on the last episode that I got a sample um, from Steven, who's a rock star over at Hell's Half Acre, and uh, was going to drink some on the pod to like show it off. And then I didn't make it to the pod. So I had to go over to King's <laughs> and get a little bit more. So for our uh, YouTube viewers, here's the can. That's a good looking can. It's a good looking can. 16 ounce instead of a 12. So you get a little bit more bang for your buck. They come in a four pack for about $10 uh, and a percentage of every uh, sale goes to Flying T Club and TCU NIL. So it's really giving cool. me kind of TCU baseball vibes with the can. It's got the pinstripes. Here. It's got the pinstripes. Yeah, it's it's very well designed. Nice. Uh, if you look near the top of the can, it's got like a little bit of like map of Fort Worth action going on. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a kind of a cool can, branded with Hell's Half Acre and Fort Brewery as well uh, to shout out all of the things. And then it does have a little message on the side of the can as well that talks about Flying Tea Club and the NIL initiative and all that kind of stuff. So you get a little bit of backstory there as well. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to apologize here in advance. I'm hearing some popping in my uh, AirPods, and I don't know if that's going to come through. But if you guys are, are listening in and our audio isn't quite as crisp and clean as normal, that's my fault. I am still at school. Today was my first day of school. Had my flag football team meeting and did not have time to run home before I had to be back up here for another event this evening. So if, if our audio is not the the general delightfulness that it normally is, I apologize to listening audience. I don't think it's going to be bad. I just don't think it's going to be as good as we expect. Everything um, sounds good on my know, end. So. Okay, that's good. <laughs> hey, you know what we don't think is going to be bad but might not be as good as we expect is TCU football. Uh, or might be better than we expect. Hey. Um, we, we don't know. We have a lot of questions heading into September 2nd, but what we do know is we've got one week left of fall camp, and then we turn our attention to Colorado and full-on game prep. Jamie, you were out there Saturday morning for TCU's practice leading up into their scrimmage on Sunday, which was close to the media. Um, what we were hearing kind of coming out of that practice is that we're starting to get a sense of, of kind of who the ones and twos are, and there's been a little bit more consistency, a little bit less kind of shuffling of pieces as, as we get in kind of to the meat of, of August and, and start turning our attention towards the season. Yeah, it was for the back half of week two, and then on Monday morning, Sonny Dykes and his staff totally mixed everything up again, and there were guys playing with the ones that hadn't and guys playing with threes that hadn't, and so definitely still – in the midst of all of that shuffling to see who's actually going to come out on top as far as the depth chart is concerned. But we are getting a little bit of clarity, especially along the offensive line. Uh, Out at wide receiver, there's a little bit of clarity there as well. J.P. Richardson is one guy that's stepped up a ton. We know Savion Williams is going to get first shot at one of those outside wide receiver uh, positions as well. JoJo Earl has had a really good camp. Arkansas transfer Warren Thompson has had a very good camp as well. He's made some incredible plays. Big body dude, six foot, six foot three, six foot four, big body dude, great hands. Uh, didn't have a ton of success at Arkansas, but was there for three years, understands Kendall Brown's system really well. And I think he's serving for the wide receivers uh, a little bit like what Alana Lee did for the offensive line last year, where he's kind of serving as a middleman and as a translator for these receivers, especially the newest receiver who just got here on Saturday, Dalen Wright, the Minnesota transfer, uh, who's trying to get up to speed and has already in just uh, two days of practice in a scrimmage made some very impressive moves out there on the practice field and is going to be a guy to watch uh, as we enter the season. 
Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Warren Robertson because he was not a guy when he transferred it. Everybody always kind of assumed he was just an afterthought or just, you know, new new chance following his OC. But like you said, he seems to be making an impact, not just on the field where he has been consistently one of the top performers, but also um, in, in the wide receiver room, um, catching up guys like Dalen Wright and uh, all, all of these guys that are new to Kendall Bryle's system. Um, also seems to have great maturity about him. And when you lose – guys like Tay Barber and Darius Davis, uh, you know, who had been in, in at TCU for a really long time. And, and even though the offense was new, new TCU, it's important to have that veteran voice in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And did I say Warren Robinson? Cause I meant Warren Thompson. That's the Warren, I, you might've said Warren Thompson and Jalen Robinson, that Warren Robinson, Warren Thompson, two yes. separate human beings, both wide yes. receivers on TCU's roster this year, both very likely. That was my, my error. Um, Warren Thompson spent his uh, first few seasons at Florida state where Kendall Bryles was the head no. All right. I'm just going to cut this whole section out. I think. Yeah. I've bombed. Yeah, this is um, of all this. I'm going to forget to do I, that. I this is all staying up, in. Yeah. I don't care. Warren Thompson started his first, uh, started his career at Florida state. He was there for three seasons from 2018 to 2020, uh, after which he transferred into Arkansas, um, spent the last two years as a Razorback, and then came on to TCU with his offensive coordinator in Fayetteville. Uh, And I think has had a really good fall camp. He is not someone that had a ton of, uh, I mean, his numbers weren't like eye-popping at Arkansas. He had 12 catches for 178 yards and two touchdowns last season. He had 19 for 304 and two touchdowns in, in his first year at Arkansas in 2021. So not like astonishing numbers, but he was on the field consistently. I mean, he played in, um, I think, 21 games for the Razorbacks. So he's a guy who understands this offense, has played in it for two years, and is now coming in and helping translate for the rest of the wide receivers uh, who maybe are still trying to get up to speed. Yeah, and I think, you know, people – it's like being it's like being quarterback – Number two is being the wide receiver that shows up two weeks into fall camp, right? Everybody, everybody thinks you're going to come in and save the day. And Dalen Wright has, has a ton of talent. I mean, this is a, a local kid, started at AM, ended up at Minnesota. Now I'm second guessing everything I think I know about you're right. players because, yeah. okay, because, yeah, between the two of us, we're not, we're not at our sharpest. It's, you know what, first day of school for me, first day of school for your kids, we've been through a lot. That's true. Um, we're, we're barely surviving. Um, but I think it's unfair to kind of put expectations that he's going to come in and immediately be a big time impact player, but the pieces are there. It might take him some time to kind of get up to speed, but he certainly has the athleticism. He has the season, uh, speed and he has some decent size as well. Um, you, how quickly do you think that he can be a factor and what is a, a pretty deep room, but maybe doesn't have a standout player yet? I think he'll, I, I guess, Depends on what you mean a factor. If he's if you want him to be like a game breaking, game changing player, there's probably going to need to be a little bit of time between now and when that actually happens. But he'll be on the field week one against Colorado, and I fully expect him to start catching passes in week one from Chandler Morris. They seem to have clicked pretty quickly in camp. He seems to have understood at least some of the fundamentals of this offense pretty quickly. I mean, even on day one, he didn't participate a ton in team. Uh, for the part of practice that was open to the media. But what he did participate in were one-on-ones. And he went up over Channing Canada, uh, a corner who has seen a lot of first-team reps this this camp. Um, 
and fully mossed him in the back corner of the end zone on a fade pass that was beautifully thrown by Chandler Morris. And uh, he's shown really good body control. He's a tall, athletic guy. I mean, he's as big, he's as tall as Savion Williams. He's a little more mm. slender than, than Savion is. Savion's bulked up quite a bit this offseason. Um, great body control, fast, good hands has all of the makings of a very good outside wide receiver. And now Malcolm Kelly gets to put his hands on him and mold him a little bit and, and really turn him into something special. So I think he's going to be a fun guy to watch grow and develop this year. Uh, he already has a great track record uh, from his time at Minnesota. You can go look up his highlights on YouTube. He, he, he's a fascinating case uh, of, about, you know, just being a wide receiver with a lot of athleticism and talent and an offense that wanted to run the ball a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and so it'll be fun to see if he has an opportunity to maybe catch a few more passes this year. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, obviously you lose Quentin Johnson and, and you're not going to replace him necessarily with, with anybody, a transfer, whoever else. But when you were kind of looking at Cordell Russell was one of the lead guys picked that outside, having a veteran, a guy who's played a lot of football as opposed to a true freshman, you know, where you're, you, you want to be able to count on somebody that's done it before. Um, I still think Russell's going to play a huge part. You said the same thing. Like he, the kid looks legit. He looks real deal, but it's really nice to have another veteran presence opposite Savion Williams. Um, when you, when you go out for those early games, especially um, veteran presence, TC went into the portal to get some veteran presence for their offensive line, as well as, as bring back a couple of guys who, who play critical roles. Um, like until, until Monday morning, it looked like we were pretty certain how this thing was going to shake up. Did you see them doing any mixing and matching um, at Monday's practice or we have a pretty good idea at this point who the line's going to be? Uh, I mean, they're, they're trying to narrow down to their eight to 10 guys that they can really trust right now. We still haven't seen John Lands practice at all, which is a little concerning at this point because he was expected to be back by around last Friday. He was dealing with some minor injury stuff, uh, but we haven't seen him yet this fall. And he was a guy who, before a couple transfers came in, specifically Colton Deary and, and Willis Patrick, you, you were thinking, all right, this is going to be your, a starting guard or maybe even your starting center. Uh, and we haven't seen him practice at all. So a little bit of concern there. But beyond that, yeah, it's starting to take shape. You've got uh, Andrew Coker at left tackle, Brendan Coleman at left guard. Colton Deary and Willis Patrick have been rotating at center and right guard. Um, when I was out there on Saturday, Willis Patrick started to center with the ones, but Deary got in uh, some snaps pretty quickly thereafter. And then kind of the surprise on the offensive line from camp so far is Michael Nichols at right mm-hmm. tackle. He's a guy who um, uh, AJ Ricker really likes and has shown the athleticism to be able to play tackle, which really has given them the opportunity to move Brandon Coleman to that left guard spot, uh, which is kind of more naturally suited to him. He did a fantastic job, in my opinion, at left tackle last year. Um, but moving him into guard, putting him right next to Andrew Coker, who he's got a good rapport with, uh, and you're starting to see the makings of like a, a nice little relationship between those two guys, similar to what you saw between Coleman and Steve Avila on the left side of the line last year. Uh, I don't know that the play will necessarily be at that same level, at least not early in the season, but those are two guys who are veteran presences on that line who are going to be able to provide some consistency for AJ Ricker and and the rest of the TCU offense. Yeah, it definitely feels, you know, like we've talked about this before, but TCU was so fortunate to have the same guys, five guys start every single game last year. Um, That doesn't mean you don't want to develop the depth behind them. And I know Sonny Dykes talked about it. Rickers talked about it, that if you don't have those eight to 10 guys and you're in bad shape, and it seems like you were saying that that's really starting to come together 
um, a little bit more fluidly. Um, you know, defensively, it, it looks like we pretty much know who's going to be there. There's some, there's some uh, kind of line of dissemination with the linebacker unit. There's still a battle going on between um, uh, Josh Newton and uh, Millard Bradford. It, it appears at, Josh uh, at the safety. Josh, good lord. Yep, <laughs> it's first day of school. First day of school. First I was school. saying it, and I was like, Newton is not correct. No, Fig's got I his starting anyways. spot pretty well. Locked yeah, I down. think Josh Newton is pretty well locked in. Uh, Josh Foster, who has been a, a very pleasant surprise, who's put in the work clearly this offseason um, and and kind of as a wake-up call maybe to, to Miller Bradford, who, when he was healthy, played a lot for TCU a season ago. Yeah, and he's had a really good fall camp, and that's kind of what you chalk it up to at this point. That's why he's continuing to run with the ones. Um, and it shows you a lot of similarities from a coaching philosophy standpoint that we learned last year about this coaching staff is that the, the guys who they think are the best players are the guys that are going to start and play. Uh, and, and what you've done in the past doesn't really mean a whole lot uh, as far as earning a starting spot goes. you got to show that you're, you're still capable or that you're improving. And, and so that's kind of where Josh Foster is at this point. Not that Nook Bradford has regressed by any st- st- uh, stretch of the imagination. He's also played very well this fall camp. But right now they're rolling with, with Josh Foster and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if anything changes over the next week and a half as they get ready for Colorado. But right now it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. One of the things that has been kind of the biggest question mark heading into the season is the defensive line. You got your eyes on that unit Saturday morning and, and had pretty, pretty good information um, from that practice. Is there a guy that, that we should be paying attention to, you know, we kind of hear the same, the young guys getting tossed around. But is there somebody that you think really can step up and kind of what, what was it the the war war doggy or something that was one of our uh, war daddy our war daddy that, that one of our uh, uh, listeners chimed in with is there a guy that's going to be able to consistently get to the passer and cause problems on that defensive front? I think that's still the biggest question. Um, yeah. You know they've they've rolled Marcus Deal who we've mentioned on this show a couple times now, they've rolled him out at right edge a little bit um, to see what he can do out there. Like I mentioned, you know, in the spring, they moved Dom Williams out on the edge quite often. Uh, I guess Caleb Fox would probably be a guy to keep an eye on, to pay attention to just because he's, he, I mean, he's arguably the most veteran defensive lineman they've got on the roster this Mm -hmm. year. And he's put on weight, good weight this offseason. He gained about 20 pounds and he's going to be a guy they rely on, on the edge quite a bit. Um, you know, beyond, beyond that, I don't know that, you know, I mean, Zach Chapman has had a good fall camp. Avion, uh, Carter has had a really good, uh, camp as well. Two guys that are true freshmen, but I, I don't know how much you can rely on them quite yet from Mm -hmm. a, from a pass rushing perspective. Uh, another guy who we still don't know much about, he's still out there in a red Jersey. Hasn't, hasn't done a ton of team stuff is, uh, Marcel Brooks. And, you know, if, if you're looking for a guy who's proven to be able to get to the quarterback, uh, it, it, he's he's arguably the most proven guy on the roster from that perspective. And if he gets to a point where he's game ready, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see this coaching staff turn him loose in some limited situations to say, hey, you're going to be out there for 10, maybe 15 snaps a game. But every single snap you're out there, you have one job, and it's to hit the quarterback before he gets rid of the, the football. Um and if that's the case, I think that's going to have some, we're going to see some success from him with that game plan. Uh, it's just a matter of him getting healthy enough to be able to go out and do it. Well, that's a nice segue into the next thing I want to talk about. Um, one of the, the biggest differences that we've seen um, between 
Sonny Dykes coaching staff and his philosophy in fall camp and, and Gary Patterson's is the vets get a lot of days off. Mm-hmm. Um, the load management is, is very uh, calculated, I think, by Dykes and Kazadi and, and the staff. And we've seen that a lot with Trey Sanders, who most people still think will be the first guy to line up in the backfield against Colorado. But he just came off a couple of days off. They've been rotating guys, you know, in and out, not just with the red jerseys, but just kind of giving those older players more time off. And so far, it seems to be working. I don't want to jinx anything here, so I'll, I'll knock on wood. But the Horn Frogs have made it through the first couple of weeks of camp with without any major serious injuries. Um, that philosophy, I think, by Kazadi, the strength and conditioning staff, and Sonny Dykes, uh, seems to be definitely something that's been working out for them so far. I think so. And I mean, a really good example of that is Trey Sanders, who got a lot of load management days this week. He didn't participate in the Sunday uh, scrimmage either, but he was a full go at practice on Saturday and on Monday. And it's one of those things where, especially with Sanders, when you've got a guy who's coming off such a major injury, multiple major injuries like he was, uh, and he's still really trying to get back into full football Mm -hmm. shape, uh, there is no reason to push him too hard in August uh, when you're hoping to get a full season uh, from him. And and it reminds me a lot of what they did with Wes Harris last year, a guy whose Mm -hmm. career was riddled with injuries. He could never stay healthy. I don't believe he had ever played in more than eight games in a single season. And last year he played and started in all 15. And that was a lot of, uh, a lot of a big reason for that. One was John Lance who they rotated in with him at right guard. And two, it was because of the way they approached fall camp. They knew that that wasn't, as important as him being fully healthy and ready to go on game day. So his weeks looked a lot different than maybe some of the other guys along the offensive line. I think we're going to continue to see that with Trey Sanders in the running back room a lot this year is a lot of load management during the week, some rotating in in the backfield. That was always going to be the case, especially with Imani Bailey playing the way he is this, this fall. Um, But just taking care to make sure that he is healthy and ready to go on game day. And they're not going to they're not going to push him in practice needlessly uh, and, and further risk any potential injury or, or setback. Well, like you said, the way that Imani Bailey has looked in fall camp has certainly enabled that to be a possibility, too. It feels like every time I open up social media, somebody's talking about something insane that he did. And I think that was one of the biggest question marks with this this running back room is, is Bailey was so explosive. I'm sorry, there's a fly buzzing around me, too. This day is going great. Um, Bailey was so explosive last season um, in limited opportunities. But if he is asked to carry more of a load, which I mean, just by by, by the of who they have and, and what they're looking at, he will be if he can kind of maintain that ability with a higher load and it seems like so far he's more than up to the challenge yeah he is and you know he's a guy that uh, anthony jones tcu's running backs coach is really really high on uh he joked the other day he's like don't tell him how much i think he's grown or how good i think he could be um because he 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 does think that amani bailey could be the dude uh, ultimately. And, and we've seen that this fall, he's, he's consistently broken off really big runs. We saw it in limited time last year as well. He had one touch against West Virginia, I believe. And it was like a 35 yard yeah. rushing touchdown where nobody got even remotely close to him. And uh, I, I think TCU fans can gear up for a little bit more of that of Monty Bailey this year, because he is an incredible running back. He's got a lot of talent. He showed that at Louisiana for two years before a coaching change inspired him to transfer. And now he's going to be a part of a backfield where you've got the other primary back who's probably a load management guy throughout the year. So I would not be shocked if by the end of the season, Amani Bailey was the leading rusher on this team, uh, just not only by 
because of the fact that that Trey Sanders is going to be a load management guy, but because of his uh, of Bailey's, you know, just overall talent. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, again, I feel like we bring it up every week, but there's so many interesting pieces on the offensive side of the ball for for this team. Um, there's so much that they look like on paper they should be capable of doing, uh, but until we until we line up against Colorado, it's it's hard to imagine what's actually going to come to fruition. But there's certainly no reason not to be excited about what this offense could be capable of in year two of Sunny Dykes and year one of of Kendall Bryles running the system. It should be a lot of fun. Um, Unfortunately, there's not it's not all good news on the injury front for TCU, at least for former TCU Horn Frogs. Um, the NFL kind of kicked off a full week, full preseason slate, and because the TCU has eight rookies in the league, we got to see a lot of them in action. Uh, there were some really, really great moments, uh, including Darius Davis and Quentin Johnston scoring their first NFL TDs. Um, but we're going to lead with the bad news, and that's Kendra Miller uh, is having knee issues again, and it seems to not be a major injury. But it still knocked him out uh, probably the next couple of weeks. And as he tries to be running back two with, um, uh, and I'm going to forget the, it's the Alvin Kamara. Really, yep, Alvin Kamara, who's the name I should know, um, with him out for the first three games um, of the season due to some disciplinary action. Uh, this is this is a really tough break for Kendra. It is, but I, you know, I hope it's not too major of a setback. One beat writer for the Saints tweeted out on um, Monday that. It seemed this the team feels like they probably avoided a major injury with mm-hmm. Kendra. They're getting more opinions later this week. They're going to make sure they're they're taking their time with him because, you know, this is a guy they drafted with a knee injury, right? He suffered that that knee injury yeah. against Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. Couldn't play in the national championship uh, and could barely work out at all throughout the draft process. So the Saints relied a lot on his game film from last season. Um, he was fully cleared like two weeks, two and a half weeks ago to get into camp and, and really start working out. So it's a disappointing setback for sure. But uh, I, I hope that the reporting has been right, that he's not going to miss too much more time because when healthy, I mean, Kendra Miller is a hell of a running back. TCU fans know that. And hopefully, hopefully Saints fans will soon as well. Yeah, it's, it's just it's a it's a bummer. And you hope this isn't kind of like he's going to be plagued with knee injuries here. But once he gets healthy, hopefully he can stay that way because he certainly will uh, be an impact player in the pros. Um, speaking of impact players, man, Darius Davis did not waste much time making one of those kind of plays that we have seen him do time and time again at TCU. Housing an 81 yard punt in his first uh, preseason NFL game for the Chargers. Uh, he absolutely looks like the type of guy that can be an all pro level punt returner. Uh, his speed and shiftiness certainly is translating well at the professional level. Yeah. It helps when you can run 23 miles an hour. Right. Yeah. I mean, his top speed That's, was, yeah. uh, I believe the fastest top speed in yes. college or NFL football last season. And he, yeah, he flashed it again. He he's the, the good thing about him though, is that he doesn't just try to get to his top end speed and go what he did yeah. on that punt return was he, he received the punt he hesitated, he made his read, and then he took off a field. He made a guy miss in the first three, four yards, and then just went untouched, right? He hit a, he hit the edge, and if, if you let Darius Davis get to the edge, he's you're not going to catch him. He's, too, he's way too fast. Yeah. And so that was really cool to see uh, from him in, in his first preseason action. And like you mentioned, there was another Horn Frog out there that scored another touchdown as well. And Darius Davis, beyond just being a punt returner, he was on the field in that, in that set that Quentin Johnston scored on. He was in the slot on the other side of the field and was the first person to Quentin when Quentin caught yep. that touchdown pass from East. Really cool. Uh, to, so the two former frogs could celebrate there at SoFi 
uh, and, and have a little handshake. And, and uh, it was, it was just really cool to see. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Max Duggan got in, he got to, to take a knee uh, against Stenson Bennett and a win um, at SoFi. That was, that was nice. Um, wish you could have done that a few months ago, but um, yes, yeah, so it, it was pretty great. It's pretty fun to see those guys scoring. Um, you know, Quentin Johnson's kind of gotten mixed reviews out of camp, the drops that, I mean, we've, we've been talking about it a lot in, in, in the Fumble Town group message, but, you know, his, his consistency is kind of the biggest question, but he's showed and he, he showed last weekend that when he makes plays, he makes big plays and that he can certainly is up for the challenge and the task ahead of them as a professional wide receiver. Yeah. And I'm not as worried about him and his drop. There have been first round wide receivers with drop issues uh, for all of time right amari cooper is one that comes to mind for me because Mm -hmm. of the cowboys who had some drop issues at bama had some drop issues with the raiders but then he got to dallas and those issues largely were gone and that was year i think four or five for him in the league and he had a really successful year with the uh, season or two with the cowboys three i don't even know how many before he got traded for a sixth round pick to the cleveland browns which i'm not bitter about still um yeah mm-hmm. but this is something that even in spite of some drop issues here and there quentin johnson is going to be a very good wide receiver in this league he's got all of the tools necessary to be that um and eventually he'll turn his hands around the right way but yeah uh until then he's going to drop a pass here and there he's also going to score a lot of touchdowns and gain a lot of yards for the chargers and chargers fans are really really going to love him and you know that'll be that That'll be that. Uh, the Winters and Matt Pryor played for the 49ers in what was one of the worst games of football I've ever watched. It was the 49ers second, third team against the Raiders, mostly first team. Um, and it was bad. Uh, Matt Pryor, he didn't necessarily have a bad game, but um, Trey Lance needs to get rid of the football. Uh, he was sacked. I think that like four of the first five dropbacks I watched, Trey Lance took a sack. Uh, not necessarily Matt's fault, but um, did not look like a good overall unit there on the offensive line for San Francisco. Uh, but D winners made a couple of really nice plays. Um, and, and the thing I loved, I was, I was in the kitchen as I had the game on in the background and all of a sudden I hear them start talking about D winters and cause he's just made an, another like, you know, impressive closing speed tackle on a running back. And they start talking about how great he's looked in fall camp. I think he's going to be a guy that gets a lot of snaps for the 49ers, probably second team behind Drake Greenlaw is a really, really great linebacker. Um, but he can do a lot of the same things. He's got the speed um, that translates well. He's not the biggest guy in the field. We all know that. But the intangibles, I think, more than make up for his height, just like they do with uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. And I think D. Winters on a very, very good defense is going to be a guy that that matters and that plays a considerable amount, even though the 49ers have an exceptional linebacker unit already. Yeah, well, he's certainly learning from from the right group, right? The right group of guys who have been one of the best linebacking units in in the league for for a handful of years now uh, you mentioned THT though he's another guy that was in that Rams Chargers game and there were a couple times where he was lined up against Quentin and he mm. locked Quentin down a couple times he forced a couple incompletions um, I tweeted about it after the game he's like it was a weird what a weird experience to go against a brother but man how has God blessed us or something like that go grogs I think he spelled frogs wrong um, yeah grogs but uh, any, you know, either way, spelling aside, it was really cool to see not only two horn frogs, three horn frogs really celebrating on the Chargers with that win, but two guys going against each other in live action in the NFL that have both worn the horn frog on the side of their helmet. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, it, it, and right, like this is not the first time that TCU has had frogs in the NFL, but this is 
outside of, I think like 1956, the largest draft class TCU has ever had. Yeah. And so it's been really fun. Like you said, to watch these young guys come to the league, they're playing against each other right out of the gate. They're scoring touchdowns right out of the gate. Uh, and a lot of good, a lot of good press around TCU, uh, yeah. for week one in, in the NFL preseason. It's been fun to see. My favorite part of that Chargers-Rams game, though, is they all were gathering around, um, all five players that were on those two active rosters and were hanging out after the game, and Zach Evans coming up behind them and, like, photobombing <laughs> the, the TCU picture. Um, you can tell he's got a lot of love for those guys still and that they have a lot of love for him. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that, that he's wondering maybe what might have been, but, you know, who knows? Well, you know, I, I mean – and I've, 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 I think I'm, I'm fairly confident that I have been consistent in my stance on Zach Evans since the get go. And that's, you know, I don't fault a guy for going and getting a bag. Yeah. I don't fault a sure. guy for going and trying to make his family's life a little bit better. Uh, and I appreciate what he did for TC in the two years that he was a horn frog. Um, it's obvious, like you said, that those guys liked him a lot and that he liked them a lot. And I have, I have no, I don't care yeah. that he transferred out. No, to will. And, yeah feed his feed his family like that so um happy for him that he's in the league and having an opportunity i know that his year at Ole miss didn't turn out exactly how he was probably hoping that it could but you know you can never see a quinchon judkins coming and that's kind of what stole a lot of his reps last year uh, was uh you know an elite freshman coming in and on the other side of that pillow too like if zach evans stays at tcu do we see the kendra miller that we saw last year probably not you know 1500 yard rusher second longest touch, uh, rushing touchdown streak since, since LT. And, um, you know, I, I, we just, we don't get that Kendra Miller of Zach Evans is still here. So I think it worked out as good as it could have for all parties involved. Yeah. And LT also caught that game between the uh, Rams chargers and was seen with a uh, GHD mm-hmm. ahead of the game on sidelines. It was pretty cool. Uh, you know what else is really cool? Hmm. Home field apparel, Jamie. I'm wearing them right Another now. Another one of, yeah, you are rocking some home field. I am not because, I'm at school, um, <laughs> but another one of our amazing sponsors is Humfield Apparel, purveyor of the softest hoodies, t-shirts, incredible vintage designs, just so much fun up and down that lineup, not just for TCU, but for a myriad of other universities from across the country. You can join in the comfort as well by heading over to homefieldapparel.com, use the code FROGSIN15 to get 15% off of your first purchase. And because we love you and because Homefield loves us, you'll get 10% off any additional purchase uh, when you inevitably go back because you want more swag um, when you when you use that frogs in 15 uh, code. So anytime you use it, 10%, first time 15%, uh, head over to homefieldapparel.com, order something from the good brands today uh, and be prepared for those cold winter nights, which will eventually, so I've been told, fall upon us. Although I'm sure you're pretty miserable in Texas and supposed to be 107 for my first day of official tryouts for football tomorrow. So It'll be a while before the hoodies get busted out of the of the closet for either of us. It was actually a cool day today in Texas. Ninety. It only got 92. up to a, it only got up to hundred and one. Okay, so it's, it's just pleasant. Seven seventeen on Monday evening, and it's ninety four degrees right now. Oof! It is it is a, it is five seventeen on Monday evening. It's hundred and one. So yeah. you've got to be it's tough. Pretty miserable. I don't know how I'm supposed to work out, you know, 80 kids in, in a in a gym tomorrow for a football trial, but that's tomorrow's problem, not today. You just gotta do it. You just gotta do it like TCU has done it and say, you know what? We're gonna beat the heat. We're going at 6 a.m. Yeah, really, really should have. Really I have fun fact. Have. My middle school basketball team had tryouts at 6 a.m. before school one year. Mm-hmm. I think it was my seventh grade year. And 
that was the most miserable experience of my life yeah. was getting up at five o'clock to go to school yeah. to try out for a basketball yeah. team in middle school. And then like you already smelled like middle school boy in yep. seventh grade. And then you were, you were rolling into school trying to have showered yeah. between a basketball tryout and the first period. Yeah. Like name and, and, and no, no amount of soap yeah. was helping you out in that situation. It no. was pretty rough. That was a rough week. Too many of these kids hang out in my classroom. I don't want them stinking. So we're going to just do it in the gym tomorrow. It's just like high high school girls. They're at least, they have a sense of hygiene, I think. Right. They do. They do. Yeah. I I would, I would think so, but it's still like, yeah, you're going to practice from six, seven 30, then you're going to get 65 girls into the shower. It's never going to happen. That's fair. They're going to just, and it's an all girls school. They're just going to roll to class. Some of them. And it's not going to be good for anybody. So I'm, I'm just, point. I'm saving, I'm saving the school, saving the school by doing this. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm helping, helping the teachers out. They should remember that. It's a real uh, act of valor. Real act of valor here. Uh, taking one for the team. Hey, uh, speaking of teams, not my, yeah. not my finest segue, but a segue nonetheless. Nonetheless, uh, uh, PC basketball finished a, a pretty successful week overseas. They played four games. They dropped a hundred points. Um, in each of those four games, competition level, not the greatest, but pretty awesome to see the Horn out on the court together and to see guys like Micah Peavy and Emmanuel Miller really take on leadership roles, um, do great offensive, defensive games, have just great all around weeks, um, just both on and off the court. E-Man, every time E-Man posted something on social media, it made me smile. Uh, mm-hmm. Just he's such a great personality. Uh, Ernest Dude had a huge game in in the finale. I think he dropped a double double and, and really showcased some of his offensive prowess around the rim. Again, overmatched guys in, inside, but you love to see a young kid get some major minutes and show a lot of confidence. And I think that was the case with him. Trey Tennyson had a great week with uh, average ten and a half points per game, with seventeen of twenty four from the field and nine for thirteen from three. That in itself is music to PC fans' ears. I've been trying to tell y'all this dude is a shooter. This dude is a shooter. This dude is a shooter. He is going to be, uh, God willing, will be the best three-point shooter TCU has seen since Desmond Bain and might be better. Mm -hmm. Might be a better three-point shooter than Desmond Bain. I think statistically his numbers would say that he is that. Um, This is the pure three-point shooter that TCU desperately needed last season to help yeah. with spacing, to, to be that added layer of offense that they could uh, go to to keep defenses honest. Um, we saw so many defenses last year lag off into the paint and just make life difficult in the interior. It's why Mike Miles ended up on the floor so much. It's why yeah. the rebounding suffered last year. And uh, I think that a guy like Trey Tennyson is going to keep defenses honest in a way that we'll see not only the three-point shooting go up for the team, but it'll have a residual effect. We'll see TCU be on the offensive glass a lot like they were two years ago. Uh, and and we're going to see, a, I think, a couple more open lanes to the paint as a result of that as well. So it should be a really good year for TCU's offense as long as Trey Tennyson's doing what he does. Yeah, and if he continues to shoot, I mean, I don't expect him to go 9 for 13 here, but if he continues to shoot at that kind of clip, um, and when you've got Mustafa and uh, Uday inside, you can you can really make teams pay and make them make tough choices. And, and the flexibility, again, of this lineup, guys like PV and Miller who can play multiple positions, uh, Jacoby Coles who really developed um, his outside shot and has, has much extended his range as well. All of a sudden, you can play big, you can play small, and you can make defenses make difficult choices at every level, which, uh, again, especially you know after Lampkin went down and Miles was dealing with injury, that's where TC really struggled was just being able to play at the pace that they wanted to play with, but then also, you know, get open looks 
inside because they couldn't stretch the defense from the outside. So I'm excited about, about the way that this lineup has really taken shape. And it was fun to see them play semi-meaningful basketball against somebody else here over the course of the last week or so. It was. I mean, it was fun. And they understood kind of what the mission was this week. It was to go to two really cool cities, enjoy the cities, and figure out who they are as a basketball team, or at mm-hmm. least get started doing that. Um, and I, I think they've got, I think they made some really good progress in that area, um, just to understand who they've got, what they've got, and what some rotations could look like for this thing once the season kicks off at the end of October. I mean, this was really, truly Jameer Nelson Jr.'s second week with the team, right? Mm-hmm. And so this was not only a good opportunity to get to know each other on the court, but, I mean, if you're going to meet a group of guys, go on a trip with them, right, and, and get to know them uh, when you guys are the only people that you know in a foreign country. And so uh, that had to be an excellent opportunity for him to get to know some guys really well, for them to get to know him and uh, for that bonding to happen. Uh, And hopefully we see the payoff of that once the season starts on the court. And Jameer Nelson Jr., you bring him up, looked really good too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're replacing two point guards, basically two guys that kind of led and initiated the offense. And he definitely looks like he's up to the challenge, especially when you consider how little time he's had to work with these guys. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned little, I saw a lot of comments about his size, like his physical size. He's the same size as Mike Miles, right? Yeah. And so I think we probably just got used to seeing Mike out there doing what he did. Jameer is the same size uh, and has a lot of the same skill set as Mike does. And so mm-hmm. he got to put that on display a little bit in Europe, getting to the rim, creating for his teammates. He's a scorer at all three levels. He showed that. Um and I think the more comfortable he gets, the bigger of a threat he's going to be for the frogs on both ends of the court. He loves playing defense. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it'll be just, I'm, I'm very optimistic about this year of TCU basketball because of the guys they brought in. Um, not because they scored a hundred points against, you know, a high school team in, in London, yeah. but, um, but because of the guys they brought in and how quickly it seems like they're bonding and figuring things out. Yeah. And, you know, Jameer Nelson Sr. wasn't a super big player either. And he had a pretty dang successful and long career, both at mm-hmm. uh, collegiate and high school and the yes. professional level. So Dallas, Dallas Mavericks, great Jameer Nelson. Absolute legend. Absolute Dallas Mavericks legend. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of legends, uh, Jeremiah Donati has been come kind of a living legend at TCU. Um, and when you think of his trajectory and his career path and all that he's accomplished when people were, you know, almost disappointed initially when he was given the job or at least at the very least uncertain and unsure. Um, And now he is a hot topic on the athletic director recruiting trail, but he recently turned down or withdrew his name from the USC athletic director search, which means one of two things for now. He's either very committed to TCU, which I think most people would believe that he is, or there's another pretty big athletic director search that will be uh, going on here in the near future that he certainly will be a candidate for as well. Although they do seem to have quite a list of, of folks that they're interested in at Ohio state. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, right out of the top of this conversation, I'd be pretty surprised if it wasn't Pat Chun, that was the next yeah. person filling that role, the current Washington state athletics director, I think with the state of Washington state as a whole, um, with not only the the lack of a conference after this year and some insecurities there financially, but also that was an athletics department that was already because of some some issues from Pat Chun's predecessor not in great shape financially. Yeah. Um, so there might be an opportunity there for him to to move to a better situation, and I think he's somebody that Ohio State is looking at pretty closely. But uh, I mean, Jeremiah Donati's name is going to be on the list for every 
blue blood athletic. This is, I mean, he hasn't been around as long, but this is kind of his Gary Patterson era, right? Where Mm -hmm. Gary's name in the first five, 10 years of his coaching time at TCU, he was always in the mix. Every time there was a a potential candidates list for a Tennessee or an Arkansas or a Notre Dame or whoever it was, Florida, Kansas state. I mean, the list, I I think I pulled a list together when we were still with Ruggs Ward and it was like upwards of 20 teams that he had been on coaching search lists for Jeremiah Denite is going to be on that list, and rightfully so, because like you said, there were there were a few questions asked when he got the job because he was a first-time AD in a in a budding Power Five athletics program. Um, but he's done nothing but hit home runs, in my opinion. Yeah. Right? I mean, you see how uh, he he had to make two of the hardest calls any athletics director is ever going to have to make in the first three years on the job, four years on the job with separating from the winningest football coach in program history and separating from the winningest baseball coach in program history. Now the situations were vastly different, right? Um, There was a lot more tension uh, in the Gary Patterson uh, separation than there was in Jim Schlossnagel taking the Texas A&M job. But in both situations, you've got to, you've got to fill, you've got to fill that role. And I think after year one, at this at this point in Sonny Dyke's career at TCU, we're going to say it's pretty successful. Uh, I think after year two in the Kirk Sarlos era at TCU baseball, he's got two Big Twelve trophies sitting, on, championship trophies sitting yeah. on his shelf, and he's got an Omaha appearance already. I'd say we're we're saying that's pretty dang successful. He managed to stave off UCLA, who came hunting for Jamie Dixon and locked Jamie Dixon up into a new contract and resolved some of that issue. He hired a volleyball coach after having to let go a an alum who was the head coach of that position, uh, and he brought in a new volleyball coach who got them to the NCAA tournament in his first season. And by the way, maintained that relationship well enough with the previous head coach that yeah. she is now back as the executive director of the of the yeah. uh, alumni of the uh, the block T, block T association, block T. right? So like he did that well enough to maintain that relationship. And now she's back in another role at TCU. Uh, That's Jill Kramer, of course, who I'm talking about. Um, He just had another hard conversation with Reagan Peebley and the women's basketball head coach and brought in uh, a guy in Mark Campbell, who who has a track record of nothing but success really everywhere he's been. And most recently at Sac State, he's put together an incredible transfer class. We're really looking forward to seeing what he can do in year one. Uh, Not to mention all of the fundraising stuff right? Yeah. He was the lead fundraiser under uh, Chris Del Conte. He was a big reason why TCU funded the football stadium the way they did. He's a big reason why they've, they funded Ed and Ray Schulmeyer arena the way that they did. Uh, the new facility that they're building, the human performance center, that was about a 55, $60 million fundraising effort. That didn't take too long between him and Sonny Dykes to get that all done. Uh, there are conversations being had about some upgrades to other facilities as well, including the baseball stadium, right? Like he has done, everything you could have possibly hoped for the 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 successor to Cristel Conte uh would be able to do and he's done it at an exceptional level so all that to say yeah he's going to come up for other for other jobs and i mean similar to Cristel Conte going to Texas would you really be able to blame him if he took one right yeah. because he's he's earned it at that point now if he wants to stay in Fort Worth, that that's awesome. I hope he does because I think he's been great for, for TCU and for Fort Worth. I think his family really likes it here. Um, 
and and i mean if if this is the trajectory of things he seems to be the guy that could keep it going um but at the same time would you fault him for taking a job at at ohio state no i wouldn't personally i would not fault him for doing yeah. that and taking the next step in his career um after especially after what he's done for for tcu yeah no i mean i think that's exactly right is that you know, I don't think we need to look at TCU as a stepping stone position at any position anymore. I think that TCU is long from that. But at the same time, um, you know, if, if you want to take on new challenges uh, and you look at what the Big Ten is becoming, then, yeah, I could see that be appe- be appealing to him. But like you said, too, one of the, the best things that he's got in his pocket is Chris Del Conte and what he deals with it uh, at Texas. And, you know, yeah. that when the lights are brighter, the lights are brighter. And that can be a good thing and a bad thing. And uh, you know, Donati's got a really good thing going, but, um, you know, nobody stays the same place forever. So I, I think it's just like you would say with any transfer, any coach, anybody, you got to do what's best for you and your family. We love having him here. We, we'll take the max advantage of while he's here, but also understand that at some point he might want to try something different. Look, uh, let me ask you a question. How many games has Ryan Day lost in the last two years as Ohio State's head coach? Not many, but, a, but, but too many. Yes. Three, right? Yes. He lost two to Michigan and one to the uh, eventual and defending national champ. Yeah. And he's on the hot and there's, for it, but there's legitimate rumor that if he doesn't beat Michigan this year, he's fired. Yeah. yeah. What do you think the pressure is like for the guy who has to replace that head coach? Yeah. Right. And so you're right. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Uh, there is a lot of extra quote unquote stuff that comes with being uh, the AD at a, at a huge blue blood school. And obviously Crystal Conte's experienced that for himself. They are still, to my knowledge, very close. Um, you know, he withdrew his name from the USC job. I don't know why, um, but it, uh, that, that's sure. a, you talk about you know? messy athletic departments. Yeah, that's, Not that's many a, schools are in worse shape than USC a, right now. It's a big brand name, but it's got a lot of complicated stuff going on there right now. And, uh, you know, not exactly a drama free last athletics director either. Um, yeah. so, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's good to, to put down roots and, and not move. Uh, and, and so I don't know what happens with Jeremiah tonight down the road, but as long as he's in Fort Worth and at TCU, I think the frogs are going to be in really good shape. I, I am sure he's being well compensated and he lives in a state with lower cost of living than Los Angeles and for now. Uh, for, no state for tax. Now. Yeah. For now. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, people, it, it's starting to, to catch up with it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, but, no, yeah, no, be, yeah, no state income tax, but the government will get its money one way or another. And I'll tell you oh, right now, I, property always, taxes, property yep. taxes are, are ridiculous. So people always say that like, Oh, you left Texas, no state tax. Like, no, the property taxes almost make it about even. Mm-hmm. I almost make it even. And I'm not in a tax bracket that needed to worry too much about uh, state tax in <laughs> California anyways. So as a working in Catholic school is not exactly the high paying gig you might think it is. Oh, the Catholic uh, church doesn't but... pay well? No, no, no. And I'm That's not going crazy. to make a comment that I want to make after that because I'd like to keep my I'm job. I'm not either. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Hey, uh, speaking of thankful, I'm just I'm just going with the speaking of uh, segue yeah, tonight. I'm tired and my brain is melted and it's all I got left. Um, we are so thankful to be a part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network, where uh, there are great shows and also guys like Between Two Bears that are a part of it. Um, and there are podcasts for great universities and successful football teams and also one for SMU. So uh, it, it is a really cool thing that they're doing over at Dave Campbell's Republic of Football. Um, it, it, we started, we've done a couple crossovers. I'm sure there'll be more coming this fall. 
Um, it's really fun to get to talk to, to folks on the network that are covering their teams. And um, sometimes it can be just a lot of, a lot of fun to, to, to get on with gambling gachos between two bears and, and folks like that. And the, the Houston podcast and uh, just have a little good rivalry. It, it, this is why realignment kind of sucks. It's fun to have those r- rivalries in state and, and to have something, you know, layered within that. But uh, we hope that you guys enjoy listening to Frogs and Cider. That if you do, that you'll like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the things. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, both as the Frogs and Cider podcast and under the Republic of Football umbrella. If you want a one-stop shop for everything, uh, we appreciate um, those of you guys that have downloaded. We're fired up to get to the season. Said there's there's plans here for a, a second show a week um, that we'll we'll get into as, as we get a little bit closer to kickoff. Um, we'll be doing some interviews with with folks and opponent previews, different things like that. Uh, Jamie's been dropping some great episodes going in depth on realignment and other things that you can find on our feed as well. Um, basically, if there's something you want to know about TCU or college football, I think we're covering it for the most part. Yeah, and I've got one that's tentatively dropping later this week as well. Okay. That is not a current realignment thing because I think that horse is pretty much dead and beaten at this point, especially since Florida State doesn't seem to be making any moves to leave the ACC currently. Um, But it is kind of a history of how we got here, and it talks about one specific year and a specific lawsuit in a Supreme Court case that I think is super interesting. So it's like three quarters of the way written. I just need to finish that up and then record it. So hopefully I'll have some time to, to knock that bad boy out later this week. And we'll also be touching um, in the near future as soon as I can get my life together. We'll we'll talk about we've got volleyball and uh, mm-hmm. soccer coming up too. We won't be forgetting about those programs, and, and we've got plans to, to talk to folks at all of those. So it won't just be a football podcast, um, but but we'll try to give you guys a little bit of everything here in the in the coming weeks as we get ready for September and um, all of these programs getting rolling for real. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Should be a fun year. Hopefully, it's it's three quarters of the fun that we had last season across all athletics. If it's that, it's going to be a pretty, pretty dang successful, pretty, successful, pretty year dang for, successful year for the frogs. All right, Melissa. Well, uh, thanks for, for driving the, the car for, or shout out to PJ Fleck. Thanks for rowing the boat this episode. Do yeah. appreciate it. I huh. still have some more, more meal to finish. So I'm gonna go and do that, but um, yeah, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode and we will catch you next time. Go frogs. Go frogs.